0: We were very curious to think about the relationship between live and the digital experience. And um, to be honest, um, that came in in part from another Arts House project that took place in 2018 that looked at the intersection of art and emergency in a crisis and in particular in a pandemic. So that project's called Refuge. And that was just when I'd started at Arts House. So I wasn't very involved in the conception of it, but I was there for, you know, seeing it all happen. And it really struck me because the, what we were wrestling with at the time as a hypothetical scenario is well what role does art play when you can't all come together and it struck me at the time that it would be really exciting if the entire experience took place online or it wasn't wouldn't be exciting necessarily but it would make sense and so that's where that kind of kernel of an idea started and that was two years ago
1: that is emily sexton Artistic Director of Arts House Melbourne, discussing the original conception of Bleed, an arts festival held by them in Campbell Town Arts Centre in Sydney. This thought led the development of an event that would have worked both live and online. We are of course living in a very different world than two years ago. Here in 2020, there is no need for thought experiments like that. We can now field test these ideas. In fact, we have to. I'm Ben Keen for Witness Performance. I'm in my kitchen making a grilled cheese sandwich. If you stand near the stove in a particular way when grilling, the pipes ring. They ring in such a strange, familiar way. If you've been to the theatre, you would recognise this kind of sign tone, the bed on which often a monologue would be spoken. Hearing this kicks a part of my brain and my heart breaks a little. God. I miss live performance. We're all inside, stuck, waiting. I have been home alone for the longest period of my life. Thousands of people, millions are experiencing the same thing. I'm bored. I want to go out. I want to see something. I miss being somewhere. I miss being in a crowd of people, excited to see something new. All the places we used to meet where we communed for performance have gone dark. Now the only places where we can gather with strangers to watch a performance are on the internet. In March, this festival about the connections between real life and virtual is forced to go entirely online. This is Bleed.
0: Absolutely, it is something that was well positioned to go online, but it's been quite a a shift for the artists even so. Yeah. They've they've made very different works to what yeah, we thought they would be.
1: (laughs) How has it been working with artists in lockdown?
0: It's a good question. It's, you know, artists are like everyone else. It's, you know, definitely an environment where they've got multiple responsibilities um, and they've got multiple things that are putting pressure on them. I think for each individual, you know, it's either a blessing to have something to distract you or it's also an additional layer of stress. (laughs) (laughs) So I think that's the same for anybody, you know, there's so many people out of work at the moment um, and, and you know, close colleagues of mine who are out of work. And I have often said to them, you know, I, <laughs> um, working through a pandemic is, is is pretty shit. And then it's just a different <laughs> kind of shit to not working through a pandemic. It, yeah. I mean, that's kind of a, a grim outlook, but uh, nonetheless I think um, by and large our artists have been incredible what they've produced and you know certainly there's been moments where they've had to take a break and they've had to step back but um, I'm absolutely flabbergasted at what they've been able to come up with through this and particularly um, like Hannah Bronte's work that you know offers us such this most beautiful window into nature and into spending time with breath and Um, and really slowing down and and really thinking I I can't imagine a more timely or considered piece for the kind of experience we're all going through um you know what Alex Kelly and her team have have come up with is um again so timely and so imaginative and um and and you know so generous and and really just wears its heart on its sleeve and is, is is quite exciting. And, you know, the first assembly for the future that we had a couple of weeks ago, it, it was as close as I had come to a post show high. And we were all just like texting furiously afterwards, just so happy um, that we'd been, been that we'd been part of something together. And, you know, I, I don't doubt that it's been incredibly hard for these artists, but I think um at the same time you know, the, the proof is in the quality of work that they've made. It's it's very considered, it's really deliberate and thoughtful and I'm proud of it I think because it's not, um, you know, they're really not knee-jerk responses to to the situation that we're in. It's it's really quality um, work with a lot of integrity.
1: With this collection of artists there's a lot of really different perspectives coming in and different types of practitioners. Initially what informed the pooling of the collaboration with these artists? Uh,
0: Ooh, that's going back a long way. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> sorry, I'm sure I, uh, it is. I, th- <laughs> I think there's different reasons for each, but across and obviously their works changed along the way. But uh, but in all five of them, you definitely see multidisciplinary artists who are incredibly adept across form. Um, they're all deep conceptual thinkers and quite political I guess as well and and sometimes they're overtly political or or perhaps more subtle but they are all kind of quite um, they're very engaged with what a culturally relevant conversation might look like. I mean Arts House is a you know we are a production house so quite a few of them were works that we already had in development and then they were when once they'd done perhaps their first residency, they, they were sort of talking already about the kinds of um, ideas or directions they wanted to go and it seemed a good fit with where with how Blade would evolve. So it, it was a mutual conversation I think too where um, the ideas that they were working on and, and what we were conceiving in the festival um, were, were coming together and helping each other. I should say as well, we had we did work throughout the entire process with a pretty amazing reference group of four other artists: um, mm-hmm. Dan Kerner, Miyuki Jokaranta, Joel Spring, and Akil Ahamat. And they, we basically, they were sort of a brains trust um, of people with a lot of other kinds of cross disciplinary lo- knowledge: radio, architecture, um, digital engagement, um, film, and yeah, so they worked directly with the artists, and they also worked with us as curators to try and um, yeah sort of tease out and stretch out what would be possible for the festival and as a context, and also in the works directly. Yeah, so they acted as I guess a bit of a, a, an expanded bridge <laughs> between us as curators and and the, and and then how the artists were thinking because it, it seems crazy to say it, but. Most, I would say like 90% of the time when working on this project, when I tried to explain it to everyone, they looked like I was absolutely mad and and kind of annoying. <laughs> like like why would we bother at all <laughs> kind of talking about the relationship between like what it meant to have a digital live existence. Like people were just like, ugh, yuck. Like they couldn't even deal. So and then and then like out of nowhere in March, like literally every single piece of art did the migration. Um and then it was it prompted such a strange response in me because at first I was like well, yuck, I don't want to do this. <laughs> you know, like, if anyone else is going to do it, I want not do it. So, um, so, yeah, at first it made me want to run, but I'm glad I didn't run <laughs> because what we came up with, I, I do think was it, it is really quality. But, um, yeah, it's a really, really strange feeling to kind of, yeah, ha, um, have to justify <laughs> why this is interesting for so long and then everyone else catch up in the blip of an eye, and then, and then, um, yeah, and then suddenly the whole context for making this kind of work has transformed completely. Like, we're really not trying to be Netflix or something. Like, it, you know, like there are, I, I think part of what's um, perhaps unfortunate and might shift as a result of this year or however many years it takes is maybe we'll get a, a more plural sense of what. The internet and the digital experiences, like because like Netflix and streaming services, it, it is one form, but it doesn't just have to be that. And um, you know, like that, that is one form of engagement, but there are a range of other ways that um, we can interact culturally in a virtually co-present way, as as you might say. You're trying very hard to find out what they are, and I think the artists are doing a quite beautiful job. At, at pushing at those questions. Uh, to be honest, I thought that a lot more of Bleed would fail, <laughs> you know, because like, it was, it is so experimental. Um, yeah, I, I kind of thought that we would make a lot more mistakes and, or at least that some of the projects kind of wouldn't work. But so far, I think they're really working and that's quite a surprise to me.
1: <laughs> is that just because the move online or just because the festival itself in the original concept, was kind of taking risks.
0: Yeah, we didn't really know what it was. We still don't. But um, I think, and you know, one of the main challenges has been language because trying to describe or define what we really mean, I feel like we have spent, at least 50% of our time on this project trying to get to the bottom of what each person means by certain words. And is that, will this look like this? And what will the experience look like when that happens? And what is what is the role of the audience at that moment? We have spent so much time in that conversation. Sometimes it's been quite exhausting, but that has been the majority of the work is asking that question, is trying to define it. Um, and so I guess I sort of set my expectations, given how experimental that is, to not really knowing and, and accepting it if it didn't work. But surprisingly, I think a lot of it has.
1: <laughs> Did any new perspectives come to the forefront from the move online that were kind of unexpected?
0: I think I'm still in the middle of it, and so I'm not quite mm, certain. Yes, yes, of course, of course. What they are? I think I certainly think it was a good decision to. Uh, at, at one point we decided that in we, we were going to have a festival that would run for two weeks and instead we decided that we would make it um much slower pace and that it wouldn't be that kind of all-on immersive everything at once um normal mode that you do with um with festival programming that we would really give some time and space for people to discover and and you know and talk to their friends about what these works were and and share them and I think that was a really good call I don't think now is the kind of moment where I mean time is so mushy at the moment and so <laughs> yeah. I don't um I certainly don't feel like I can kind of um hand over a weekend to a, a certain kind of festival and and you know mm. like I would in the real world um with yeah it's quite funny when you say real world or not real world mm. because every yeah, yeah. Um, but because we are still humans and bodies when we engage with digital cultures. But, you know, I normally I would go to a music festival and give the, you know, a I would camp and I would give over my weekend to that music festival. I don't think it's the same experience when you program something f- for online and especially not through a pandemic. So I'm really glad that we've given a lot more space to it. I certainly do feel like we've engaged more people it doesn't feel like a normal Arts House audience, whatever that is. You know, like I, I feel like the conversations that I'm having with people who are who are engaging with the Bleed program are much, are very different and, and much more um, coming from all sorts of different kinds of communities. And that's, that's cool. That's great. Yeah, I think they're coming from communities of interest, responding directly to the program itself and not necessarily to oh, well, I live in North Melbourne, so I'll come down and see that show or, oh, I know that person and so therefore I'm coming.
1: But you're you're removing that, that geographical kind of factor, yeah.
0: Well, it's quite extraordinary. There's The attendance that we've got, when you compare it to, yeah, the kinds of numbers that we would see on a weekday in North Melbourne for a lunchtime talk are, are wild. Like we would never get a hundred, hundreds of people to North Melbourne lunchtime it would be very unusual for us to be able to do that so that's quite exciting and you know the question is once we <laughs> once we can leave our homes again how you maintain that accessibility because we've walked through that door now we can't walk back but yeah but also yeah give the opportunity for people to see each other and be in the same room
1: now there's a question that i asked everyone i interviewed and It's a question you ask anyone you're speaking to these days How are you holding up? This is what Emily said.
0: (laughs) Well, we're now in the second one. Um, And on a personal level, there was a confirmed case at my son's kinder. So we actually had to go into quarantine two weeks before the second round of lockdown began. Mm -hmm. I think, I mean, that's on a personal front. On a broader cultural level, I certainly felt after the first time, you know, doing this lockdown experience that, you know, we were coming out of it really fast. And in hindsight, I don't know that there was time in amongst all the grief and the um, changes and the, the sort of huge ramifications for our sector. It didn't feel like there was time to really imagine differently. And so I'm taking the opportunity for lockdown two to actually take the time to think more broadly about those more radical approaches.
1: Here's what Muki Jokaranda, a radio maker and writer who was part of the Bleed reference group of practitioners had to say. Uh,
2: I'm I'm okay. I think that, I think because my external rhythms have been completely Uh, subsumed and taken out of my control and absolutely as they should be public health emergency we have to do what we have to do but because I've had that that sort of agency taken away from me those big external rhythms I've had to find very uh, small internal rhythms um, to kind of to measure time with and to make time go forward because time is so <laughs> strange and elastic and liquid at the moment, like I have to create these markers that, that feel like there's some version of progress and so, and so I really had to kind of turn inwards and find small internal ways. I mean, the silliest of things, you know, just, just making sure I go for a, a daily walk to making sure I have like stated tea time, you know, through to, to bigger things, like making sure I'm, I'm checking in with friends and family on a, a, a regular basis, um, which which everything feels very contained and very internal and very interior. Um But I'm just hoping that's laying some great groundwork for when we get back out into the world again.
1: (laughs) In addition to being part of the reference group where other artists could ask for guidance, Miyuki provided a work of her own in the ear of another. Three five minute videos that speak to the attempts we make to listen and how we can sometimes strain to connect Let's have a listen to an excerpt now.
3: Hello. Michael? the Fridge, truck, Native bloody
2: doves. Kid out the back with his basketball. sounds are stifling the reflections off the walls are frequent and thin small box after small box after, after small, small box. box after small box
4: So I had this flat and my bedroom window was kind of
0: looking out to sea. And I wasn't right at the coast. I was maybe, I guess, like a mile or two away um, from the coast and the port. Um, But you could see the sea out of the window. And if it was a warm evening and I had the window open for ventilation, very occasionally, uh, late at night, I would hear this kind of certain sort of droning sound, um, almost like a kind of
4: uh, some sort of alarm signal or a kind of like it was a kind of me, me.
1: What was it like making that work?
4: Yeah,
2: it was really interesting because I've never done, I've never worked in a video editor before. Um, So I've I've predominantly just worked in, I've always just worked in sound. Um, And this festival gave me the opportunity to really push that, which was fantastic because it's something I've been thinking about for a long time, but I've never really, again, committed to, spending the time to do it and and the reason I wanted I mean many reasons why I wanted to do it but the reason I thought it would work for this festival is mainly this idea of attention right my attention is completely shot at the moment I have very a very short attention span um and I think usually I'm, I'm really willing and really up for kind of listening deep listening long listening durational listening and and I, I just thought, I can't, I mean, I can't expect anyone to want to just turn on, you know, effectively a, what would be, a, you know, just kind of a podcast feed or, or, you know, any kind of sound feed and then and then be attentive to a screen with nothing there, you know, even if even if you're playing it beautifully in quadraphonic stereos around in your home, you know. Um, and so it was really about uh, hierarchies of attention for me and and that then necessitated bringing in some visual and I love I'm just obsessed with language I'm obsessed with syntax and you know like all kinds of weird linguistic nerdy moments you know I just I just I just adore looking into the kind of structures of language and so for me then playing with both the language of sound and visual and then that intermediary this was really an opportunity to both kind of try and capture attention also let it slip away a lot of that work is in the dark and and it was about giving people the space to just sit in the dark as well um and then also really playing with um how sound and and visuals and those kinds of the languages of the two intersect with one another and amplify and, and then subtract from one another
1: Are you, you're part of the reference group for bleed
2: yeah yeah I was asked by um, by Arts house last year very early last year I think to um, to be part of really an experiment really to come in and be part of a, a, a kind of conversational experiment I think that's the way I feel about it now which is really I mean it's so lovely to have that development space you don't get it very often so it was great yeah
1: so what was that experiment?
2: Well, I think that oh gosh, this is where I don't want to speak on behalf of either of the institutions, but um, at least from a from my perspective, from the reference group perspective, it was about uh, getting a few people in the room that have very divergent um, but overlapping practices to look at how Australia can contribute to what is what I see as a kind of um, growing network of festivals and arts practices around the world that are really trying to interface with with technology. And I don't just mean the internet or the digital, but actually just looking at technology with a big capital T, Techni. And I think it was really interesting because it was very formative in those early stages because we were trying to find, we were trying to kind of, uh, Arts House in Campbelltown really had identified the communities here in Australia, but we're also trying to identify what, how Australia set apart from a lot of the burgeoning and, and established scenes around the world. And so it was it was really Quite loose, but but really generative and really um, enjoyable to just sit in a in a very um, proto space, you know, and just allow that proto space to evolve over time, and then to be able to work with amazing artists in in some kind of um, reference capacity was just. I mean, it's so nourishing to be able to just drop into people's projects, have conversations and then drop into another. I mean, it's it's such a luxurious position. And then to actually see the works come online and, and the festival evolve. Um, and they're far from, many of them were far from those very early conversations, which just goes to show how much work goes into, you know, into any artwork but into one specifically that then has to respond to a pandemic. <laughs>
1: How important a role do you think sound plays in the creation of work for online consumption?
2: I mean, it's huge. <laughs> that's, that's, a lo- that's an easy question. <laughs> um, no, I think, well, I think we tend to underestimate... You know, not to be that you know the kind of endless sound person gripe, which is that sound gets relegated to the bottom of the sensory list. (laughs) Um, In in a lot of art spaces and a lot of artworks, I think that's absolutely changing, thankfully. I think that you tend to underestimate the the intimacy that sound can bring to a work, and a lot of the stuff that I've seen during the pandemic not necessarily not part of Arts House, but around in the air you know and it, and it has a lot to do with crunchy internet algorithms and things like this but the sound really just is not there it sounds terrible it's something i don't want to listen to for a long period of time and especially if you're listening to a music performance or a or an artwork where sound is 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 absolutely at the forefront of the work it really takes something away because i think the intimacy that you can create in in creating something online which is you know Purpose built, which someone can consume in their own time, in their own space. All that intimacy that you create in making something on demand and on offer, if you don't then add that sort of sensorial intimacy, if you don't kind of wed those two together, I feel like you're really, you're really unraveling some of the work. Because in those moments where you're giving somebody both the the agency to kind of take something away and and enjoy it for themselves and you then amplify that with, with the kind of sensorial experience. I mean that's 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 really where it's at. Like that's that's I think some of the most beautiful works are able to kind of wed I mean, I guess it's I guess it's like, you know, that sort of biofeedback that you know in your body in real life and then also um, you know, the kind of the benefits of being online.
1: One featured work, one that was all about listening and about the space between creator and audience was re-sounding. This work, a collaboration between James Wen and Victoria Pham, takes the traditional Vietnamese dong sun drum and explores the cultural meanings and sonic possibilities it can offer. Part of this showing was the invitation to take audio samples direct from the percussionists, Selena Myat and Adam Cooper-Stanbury and make something with them. No instructions beyond exploring the sounds and seeing what would come. I could not resist this invite. What you're hearing now is the result of my exploration. I have to say, I did have fun. It felt like a collaboration, a meeting without ever having spoken. Working with these samples, with no set tempo, with no set structure, but still with very deliberate performances, allowed me to really hear this instrument in a way I don't think otherwise would have been possible without being there in person. This is audio of chanting in New York City, of Black Lives Matter protests, recorded by Ryan Songalia. It is undeniable that we are living in a time of shifting paradigms. There is so much happening in our communities, while at the same time we are so separated. I interviewed Samira Farah, associate producer of Art House, who spoke on how this climate had been affecting the festival. How are you going during this lockdown?
5: Um, I think it's up and down. Some days are up, some days are down. Some days I feel like I have lots of energy to get things done, and then other days I don't really want to leave my bed. So, yeah, it's been all over the place. I think the actual work hasn't been too bad in terms of having a working home system happening. I think that when you work in the arts and you do events, working from home is, it's, yeah, it's strange sometimes. It's quite strange. It's, I don't know. It's its like this weird feeling of you're working on things, but the things you're working on don't have any certainty to it, if that makes sense. It's, it's hard to promote when you know that people are struggling, not just artists. I think everyone's kind of struggling with COVID. Then also, like I was saying before, it's hard to promote a festival, particularly the public programming announcements were coming out just as the world, it seemed, was protesting, you know, for Black Lives Matter. Um, And that is challenging. I am, you know, I'm black, I'm African. Promoting a festival for me during that week was was not the easiest. Um, I made personal decisions not to send out certain emails because, you know, for me, I felt that at the end of the day, that email being received by someone else wasn't as relevant that day. They, it could wait. Um, and I think it's also been, I've, I've been pretty lucky to work at Arts House and with Bleed that everybody has felt similar during those weeks and during this time, that not everything has to be sent all the time. And sometimes it's better to, I don't know, kind of be able to reflect also what's happening outside of festivals and programming and public stuff.
1: How has it been uh, pulling this project together to have the work online? What's that process been like?
5: Well, it's been a roller coaster. Obviously, it first was supposed to be a two-week, part physical, part online performance kind of festival that kind of looks at the relationship between digital and performance, and then it's had to adapt to COVID. Um, while we were doing the festival, particularly my side of things for the public programs, um, the Black Lives Matter protests happened everywhere around the world. And that was just as I was kind of, um, sending out invites, particularly to international guests. And a number of them are of African-American background, are black artists and black writers. So yes, just constant, even when you think you're a bit certain about the festival or a project, something happens in the world that kind of pauses it. So that's been, yeah, it's been really, it's been, it's been interesting. I know that after this project is over, I will have this like external way of looking back at it, but while doing it, it has felt sometimes like a reflection. It's been a reflection of everything that's been happening outside as much as it is everything that's happening digital. As an institution, I think Arts House and any other organizations, I think we've gone beyond that idea that certain communities shouldn't be at the forefront or be at the table anymore. I don't think that institutions can get away with a lot of things. And I think Black Lives Matter beyond just a movement around, let's say, black people or marginalized people. I think it's also a lot of conversations have been happening about how institutions in Australia and overseas don't deal with certain issues. So when Emily, I think, says we can't go back to how we used to be, I would 100% agree with her. I don't think that post-COVID or post-whatever post-COVID looks like, that if institutions want to be relevant, I don't think it would be good for them to go back to what things used to look like. I think also about that word relevance, because, you know, what was relevant, I think, pre-COVID and what is relevant post-COVID might not look the same. And I think that's what COVID has shown. All the things that we thought were really important for artists or art institutions have actually been exposed as not being that relevant.
1: Mm.
5: Well, one conversation I was having in terms of relevancy was watching the amount of organizations in Australia that were either really quiet or really silent um, during the protests, but also the organizations that have been really silent online since COVID has happened as if this is temporary as if perhaps as long as they kind of stay quiet and under the radar, then maybe things can go back to normal. And I think that's very interesting in terms of, can we, can we consider an art organization or artists or art institutions relevant if they can't weather or really push through a pandemic or a crisis or whatever the issue is, if that makes sense.
1: Mm, I think I just kind of pulling, uh- I was interested in how the relationship between the people you collaborate with for the festival like this, how did it transform with the move to being completely online? I worked
5: predominantly on the public programming side. So that is the uh, essays, commissions. It is the live talks. And um, it was one of the earlier podcasts that we did. So I haven't had too much of um I guess engagement with the artist per se, I've had a lot more with the people involved in the public talks. I actually think that it has been very helpful for me because COVID has kind of leveled the kind of panelists and speakers that we could have programmed now that we're all online and at home, you know, we've been able to extend invites to people in the U S to people in Canada. We have people zooming in from London, from all over Australia, and I don't think that would have been possible if we had had a live talks bleed festival non-COVID because it would have just been in the building and would most likely have been all Melbournians. Yeah, so there's definitely been for me some really interesting and um, new voices that I, were, uh, that I have been able to program that I don't think I would have been able to pre-COVID.
1: That's a really interesting point. So you're kind of removing those uh, geographical restrictions of getting someone in to talk.
5: Yeah. And then when you talk about the internet, when we talk about bleed as this opening idea or like, like bleed as a premise of there are no borders because we're all digital, we all live online. Then to have a public program, I thought was very important for me to have people from all around the world coming in as part of this conversation, because what would it say to say one thing as a premise, but then to only have, let's say, you know, 12 Melbourne artists or speakers coming in.
1: No, I think that's a really important point, actually. Has anything about this process and about this very particular type of progress during this very particular time, has anything been particularly rewarding?
5: It's definitely been rewarding being able to connect new people into the festival and new voices. Um, Running the public talks last week, we did, an episode with two um, two thinkers, one from Canada, one from the US, um Tiga Brain from the US, and Nasma Ahmed from Toronto, and having people in the webinars or emailing me or messaging me later saying that, you know, there were so many things that they didn't realize about you know, our relationships to the internet, our relationship to brands and you know, ideas of like net neutrality and just having people. Understand things through the public program has been very rewarding. You know, when you make these programs, you hope one thing and you just, you know, you kind of hope for the best. Um, but to actually have people say that they've learned something or that they've found out something new, all the talks being recorded and then going online the next day and they're, you know, they're streamed live means that there are different people that may never have accessed Arts House or Campbelltown or the Bleed Festival that are now kind of tuning into those conversations, which is very rewarding.
3: I've been I've been fine and I'm really grateful for being safe and healthy and having somewhere to live and my living situation is is actually fine and good so all of those things make me feel really grateful which is good of course it's also been like a very much a a a shock to the system being I'm a dancer and a choreographer, so I make live performances. So this has been sort of reconsidering what the possibilities for that are into the future. I'm considering, you know, all the things around what what makes gathering together so amazing and important and transformative and having a sense of loss for that.
1: This is featured artist Angela Go, our final guest for this witness spotlight. Angela is a choreographer, and together with Su Shen, a filmmaker, she created Pirina Drive for Bleed, an ongoing multidisciplinary project that explores the connections between body, nature, and power. This iteration for Bleed includes a virtual environment a viewer can explore from their browser. By interacting with the space, the cursor itself becomes the dancer. And the various ways you interact become the choreography. How has it been creating work for this festival? And would you see it as a two-section progress? I.e. like before pandemic and after?
3: Yeah, definitely. It's been very interesting actually because, I mean, like you said, like Bleed, the, the, the proposal for the biennial was anyway to investigate this kind of virtual space and what are the possibilities of that for uh, connection and materiality and um, how the work can kind of like live in these two spaces. But the kind of crux, I feel, of the curatorial framework was the intersection between the live component and the the what they were originally calling the echo which was the online stuff or like or sometimes the echo was in in live stuff but in um either like like the other city to compared to where you were doing the live performance so in a way the the echo has been like now we only focus on the echo because we don't have the original thing that we were saying was the thing that was going to produce an echo. So now it's like, okay, we shift completely to being inside this echo without the thing that was making the echo, which I find kind of an interesting thing, but it's also, again, there's this kind of sense of loss around what seemed to be a, a very interesting proposal to investigate the experience for audiences between seeing live event and interacting with the same project in a virtual space. And so Sue, who I'm collaborating with for Pioneer Drive, Sue Yushin, who's um, a Taiwanese artist based in usually based in Berlin, but now she's um she's in been in Taipei during the pandemic. We were already really Trying to bring the virtual space into our live performance already. So we had already been kind of um, making three d scans both of our own bodies and of objects that were in the live performance that we were then kind of like screening inside the live performance on monitors that we were moving around. So we're already already kind of like trying to show like the the object itself and, it, it as a as a like digital version of itself um, together and interacting in that way and kind of sort of also like this mirroring, the mirroring between um, the live and the digital and how that comes together. So we we're already sort of trying to in- insert that into the experience of the live performance. Um, and so when when we had to kind of um, you know rethink what we were going to offer for, For bleed when it was going completely online um we already had these all these digital scans of all the things we had been working with live in the um in the performance studio in the preparation for making a live performance so we kind of thought okay we already we've already um sort of moved these things into a into a digital version of themselves so why not just um create like a virtual world where these the the digital components of the project are sort of live and um, and let the the viewer, user, audience, whatever you would call the person interacting with it, um, move around a website in three hundred and sixty degrees um, to kind of see uh, these like both our bodies and um, objects. Uh, and navigate that themselves. We were trying to work really already with people needing to move around, like navigate, you know, spatially in um, in the performance that we were planning. So we were doing that by kind of having moving, moving walls and moving mirrors that we would sort of move in the space in order that people would have to kind of navigate the space in order to kind of continue seeing what's happening. Um, and so then, yeah, in our website that we've made, it's, it's similar that, that people kind of have to move around this virtual space in order to kind of find something in the, for themselves.
1: It's something I really kind of wanted to kind of touch on, actually, because choreography, as I've experienced, is often really about the physical presence of those performers in relation to the audience. And I think the the scan thing is really interesting. Um, What other considerations or expand on that consideration that you took when moving a work like this to being just on a digital space?
3: We were trying to think anyway, like thinking about choreography as a kind of organisation of space and movement and, you know, in, in addition to you know, obviously like what we're doing and how we're moving and the, the, the movement qualities of us as performers. We were also thinking about how to move things in the space. So like monitors on wheels and mirrors. But in, in that way, we were trying to understand like how to structure a space so that you, there is like an inherent choreography of the audience or the crowd. And so we have tried to kind of take that into the virtual space to be like, well, actually the movement happens not from us necessarily, but the movement has to happen from how the user is navigating the space. So somehow the the idea of choreography kind of like flips a little and that that it's you become the, the the person that moves so and you and the way you do that obviously is like through your cursor and your arrow keys so it's it's also sort of this strange disembodied but also also embodied because it's like the it's a first person point of view so you're moving through the space as this kind of point of view um and so in in some ways like that sort of considering okay how to encourage people to move through the space in which then they become choreographed you know in some ways uh and then in other ways it's about kind of um so on on each of the objects there's a hyperlink that will pop out a video uh either that we've made or that um we've found online goes sort of a little bit deeper into the rabbit hole of um, our research. And so then there's also sort of movement in these videos and you will see, especially with the pop-outs of Sue and I, our, our 3D scans, Sue's made videos where she's moving the scan in a way that like it sort of turns inside out. And and so then it's, it's sort of what is the possibilities for the way that um, a 3D scan can move, that it's not possible, of course, for the body to be able to do. So, trying to think of things like that. I mean, and then we also have this upcoming, uh, like, desktop performance in which we kind of um, we record our screens and we move through the world and we also go like off-world into different sort of tabs and browsers and things, other videos on and online material that kind of relates to. Uh, the the research for our project and that feels very much like choreography because it's it's kind of organizing the desktop with sort of moving images moving um moving windows around to kind of like produce a, a, a certain type of uh image and feeling uh so yeah I think I think we were more interested in kind of yeah seeing the possibilities for the virtual space um rather than recording ourselves live um like recording our our movements in in the real world and kind of like making a video and putting it there we were kind of interested like what what's what's possible in the virtual space that both is and isn't possible in in real life. We we kind of were like, okay, if we're gonna if we're gonna pivot, we're gonna do a one eighty. Like, I mean, also this is Pioneer Drive is a, a collaboration with Su Yuxian. so um, it's also that anyway from the get go and from the beginning, this work was this project was always going to be like unlike the work that I would make alone. And that's like the beauty of collaboration is that you can make something that would be so different from how you would approach making something on your own um and so and sue has a background in uh like filmmaking and um uh video and media art so uh she so working with 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 her like she has more of a kind of tangible um relationship and link to kind of things that exist in media art um, so uh, that was already um kind of going on in in the the collaboration and then yeah like we worked with a with a coder to to um produce the website as we wanted it to be um and like because sue also has all these skills in like 3d modeling that i don't have um and then but it's been a really interesting collaboration, especially after like pandemic mode. Um, and so Sue's currently in Taipei, um, which has been really good because the time difference. Because she's usually based in Berlin, so the time difference would have been basically unworkable, or we would have had to kind of um, reconsider how how like our process for working together and communicating. Um, but Taipei is only a, I think a two hour difference, so it's been really amazing (laughs) that that's like only a two hour difference so but then like back and forth this the collaboration has really been like um really interesting like for example at the moment we're kind of putting together this desktop performance and so I've been writing like scores for how to um for like maybe what screens are going to go together and like what 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 screen I should be on while, while she's on what screen um, and this kind of back and forth collaboration that, that draws on both of, of our skill sets, I suppose. Um, yeah. So this work, I think, um, yeah, it's it's inherently already completely different from the work that I make alone because of the collaborative nature of it.
1: Yeah, and do you think the conversation will continue after this? Even even though this was meant to be the final development, do you think there's still more to be said with both of you in person?
3: Yeah, definitely. We're planning to continue working together when it's possible. So um, we're we're really fortunate that um, the organisations and the the venues that are supporting this project. Um, are really keen to continue that support so um, we were meant to premiere the live performance in Sydney and also then we're going to do the travel to Melbourne and do the performance there and then travel to Taipei and do the performance in Taipei so um, that's all not happening. Uh, Taipei Performing Arts Centre who has been like really supportive since the very since 2018 when we first um, started working together they will continue to support the development of the the live performance so uh, when it's safe and possible to do so. So we will uh, continue to work together in Taipei when it's when it's possible. Um, so yeah, there's still much more to come. and anyway we're, we're we're trying to frame this as a kind of ongoing research project anyway that will that can continue to grow. even we never kind of imagined that the work would premiere and that would be it. And if we did it again, we would just like rehash it it was I think between us we were really interesting in the kind of ongoing research of the project and the continual kind of transformation of the the work and the possibilities to continue um working yeah I'm really grateful to both Arts House and Campbelltown Arts Centre for kind of I mean it's been a major uh reimagining and everyone has been uh, very supportive and in the, and kind in the in the process and you know even even just practical things like uh, that I, I think are, are good to to say which is like um, arts house and Campbelltown Arts Centre like they're both honoured full the full artist fees that we were going to be given I, I think that that kind of integrity um, is really uh, good at this moment and there was there was also no sort of pressure to be like you have to do it like they were like the conditions have changed if this means that you want to pull out like you'll still get your artistry and like that's no problem and i think the the kind of openness uh for the possibilities of that is really important and the support for the artists has been really great so i think that that should be said and Sue and I have really appreciated that support that's made things like possible.
1: Another question I asked everyone I spoke to was, what do you think is going to happen to the performing arts going forward? Given this year, the blow that this part of our culture has been given, I think it's a question we're all asking ourselves Here's what Emily Sexton said.
0: As the sector recovers, working in partnership to share resources across institutions is the only way we're going to get as much as possible out to artists, which is the point. So I really do believe that's the way that we are going to find our way out of this mess is um, staring into working with other institutions and and really listening to each other to kind of, think our way through what is going to be best for artists. The other part of that partnership is obviously working in partnership with artists themselves and just ensuring that they are central to every conversation, um, that they're present in those conversations and and that they can really understand and and see um, why things are being reconfigured in the way that they are. So, you know, it's not an easy time and, but, um, if there's anything this second round can bring us, it's um, a little bit more expansive space to to really try and do things differently because we don't really have a choice. We have to we have to change it.
1: Here's what Muki Jokaranda had to say.
0: There are you know there are lots of ways that
2: that creative people can break the kind of flatness of the screen through that through that through the sensorial input of sound well through through everything really but
5: but I'm specifically talking about sound
1: Here's what Samira Farah said
5: I think the way public programming happens will have to change and I don't think we can turn back in many ways um, I think accessibility is one I think online and digital programming has really shown how institutions have really had the infrastructure's capabilities to do things online for a very long time and despite that haven't and I think um, particularly with the public programming, focusing on a lot of those accessibility services and also reading a lot of the text that you know disability activists write and advocate for, I don't think we can ever go back to this idea of inaccessibility I feel
3: like the first live performance I see um, after this period, I'm just gonna be like so elated and happy. It doesn't, for me, it doesn't matter like what it is. Um, I mean, of course it matters what it is a
1: little bit, but. I think it's clear that we're all listening quite hard to our intuition at the moment. So much is uncertain that it's hard to see the way forward. Hannah Bronte for Bleed created the work, Miss Newpnea. This work included a series of audiovisual works that all spoke to the idea of intuition. I thought I'd leave you on an extract from Grace Ether's section.
4: my intuition come from? I have... I have no idea. And I'm not sure that I maybe need to. I think intuition is... such is one of those beautiful mysteries of life. It's kind of, you know, it could come from learned ways of being or from past experiences, but I can only guess that. I I I don't know where my intuition comes from. But I I have some ideas. I have definitely have some ideas. I don't know that they're, you know, the one hundred percent correct answer. And I'm okay with that. I think intuition is something that Everybody experiences individually and uniquely to your body and your, your past and your history and what you've learned along the way in life. And, you know, how your intuition comes into life is totally up to those, those factors as well.
1: This has been Ben Keane for Witness Performance, with assistance from Arts House and Campbelltown Arts Centre. I would like to thank each of the people I interviewed for their time and generous answers, as well as all the artists who provided work to be featured within this podcast. I encourage anyone who hasn't already, please go and check out bleedonline.net to check out all the work featured here, along with everything else in the festival. It's well worth your time and, hey, where else have you got to be? Bleed is supported by the Australian Government through the Australia Council for the Arts, City of Campbelltown through Campbelltown Arts Centre, and City of Melbourne through Arts House. This has been made on the unceded Boon Wurrung and Wurundjeri lands of the Kulin Nations. I respectfully acknowledge the traditional owners and their elders past, present and future.